Today's episode is brought to you by the American Egg Council. When scientists hear that a small town in the Dominican Republic has an issue with girls turning into boys, they send scientists down to see if the rumors are true. And then we take a look at the story of a lumberjack who was out cutting down trees one day. Everything was going normal until a UFO crashed in front of him. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We're coming up to the weekend. I hope you guys have some cool weekend plans. I know I'm going to be playing a bunch of video games when I'm on vacation. Let's give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreons. This guy actually forgot his name was this. It wasn't until he was listening to the episode when he first supported the Patreon. He's like, what? Oh yeah, that's my name. Meat Hammer... Put your kids out of the room. Meat Hammer McDickfist. Meat Hammer, thank you so much for supporting the show. <laughs> Even though we had to get rid of a part of our audience for me to be able to say your name, you can bring the kids back in. Meat Hammer, you're going to be our pilot, our El Capitan this episode. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show. That really, really helps out a lot. We also have a merchandise store. Meat Hammer, let's go ahead and fire up the Dead Rabbit Robo. We are headed out to the Dominican Republic. We're going back to the 1970s, and there's a little town in the Dominican Republic known as Salinas. Just normal life. Everyone's walking around wearing bell-bottoms. Shirts are half-buttoned. Lots of chest hair. It is a wild time in the 1970s. But the reason why we're here, other than the beautiful weather, there's a scientist who's come down to the Dominican Republic to see if there's any truth to a rumor that she's been hearing. Dr. Julian Imparto McGinley is walking around Dominican Republic. Hey, do you know where Salinas is? It's that way, ma'am. Thank you. She's driving in her car through the beautiful town, and she's like looking through notes. She should be paying attention to the road, but she's a very busy woman. She's looking through her notes. She's an endocrinologist, and she's been hearing stories that seem impossible, but this town seems to have an ongoing issue with girls turning into boys. So much so that they've actually given it a name. Guevedos means, literally means, if you can pronounce it right, it literally means penis at 12. What happens is, little girl's born. And the doctor gives the baby to the mom, and the mom's like, oh, I'm going to name you Nancy. And like petting it, or whatever you do to a baby. Brushing its hair. And then the baby's getting older. It's this little girl. It's running around. Nancy's getting older. Freddy Krueger's waiting in the wings. <laughs> Nancy's getting older. She doesn't want to sleep. And around 10, seems to start acting not stereotypically girl-like. Some of the parents said, well, we knew our daughter had this issue. She started beating up. (laughs) She started beating up other kids. But by 12, the transformation is complete. They're now a boy. They now, and not just identifying as a boy. They actually now have a penis and testicles. Now, the doctor is down here to investigate this because it sounds impossible, right? That you could have someone just magically grow a penis and testicles. Seems bizarre. But it actually happens so often down there. It's one out of every 90 kids in Salinas will have this happen. That's a huge amount. They say it's almost, it's more than 1%, right? You guys know math. So Julianne is down there studying this, and what she figures out, because it was just something that was happening in the community, 
Again, so much so they had a name for it. And some of the people, like Nancy, sometimes when she turned 12, she would change her name to Ned or Nick or, or Freddy Krueger. But sometimes they just kept the name Nancy. And they'd be like, oh, I'm a guy. And they said, other than the fact that they seemed to be a little more of a slim build and had a bit of a harder time growing facial hair, it was a dude. They could have children totally normally. There's an enzyme called 5A reductase. And it basically limits the amount of testosterone that is flowing through you. So when they're born, they look like a girl. There is no male sex organs down there at all. But at 12, the testicles drop down. I don't think it's right at the stroke of midnight when they turn 12. They're like, ta-da! But I think that it's like an ongoing thing. Like the parents would say is that we would see our kids slowly changing. We'd start to see their chest get broader. Basically, once puberty starts and the testosterone is really flowing through them, the male sex organs will just appear over time. And again, that sounds like a local legend. We have a lot of stories that come out of like Africa where people get their penises magically stolen and they're like disappearing. We've covered that before. This is the reverse. This is where penises are magically appearing. So when scientists are hearing about this, they go, I don't think that's true. But it is true. They can calculate how often it will happen. It's an issue over there. What sucks is the kids get teased, right? You have someone who identifies as a girl, told all their life they're a girl. They're turning 10, 11, 12. Now they're presenting themselves as a boy, and they get, they get mocked at school. They get teased, which is interesting because it happens so often. Like, one out of 90. But anyway, you know, people will find any reason to make fun of you. But scientists go, no, this is a real thing. We can identify it. We know what causes it. It's not, they also see this pop up in regions in Turkey and New Guinea. So it's not even related. You can't even say it's an environmental thing in this area. So Dr. Imperto McGinley ends up leaving the Dominican Republic and publishing her results and saying that this is 100% a thing. Now, of course... Someone is sitting in the wings going, how can we make money off of this, huh? How can we possibly make money off of this? And using her studies, using her studies about the that enzyme, the 5A reductus enzyme, they've actually been able to synthesize it and make finasteride. Finasteride is a drug you can take to help your hair stop thinning and to make your prostate smaller. Because one of the reasons why men go bald is excess testosterone. That's why when people do steroids, copious amounts of steroids, they tend to lose their hair because they're basically getting so much testosterone. Having less hair generally means that you have more testosterone. Same thing with an enlarged prostate. Having thinning hair isn't really a health concern. It's more of a beauty concern. And some people don't care about it and some people do. But having an enlarged prostate is not something you want. You don't want any part of your body to be enlarged. Well, I mean, for the most part. But nothing. let me rephrase that. You don't want anything inside your body to be enlarged. But yeah, so they've used her studies. They were able to identify what was going on with these kids that gave them not even delayed puberty, but delayed sex organs. They were able to say this is why. And then a company that was able to synthesize it. Now you can pop pills with it. So an interesting story, almost on the fringes of science, it's like on that border between science and superstition. If she had never gone out there and done that study, this obviously would still be happening, but I think most people would be like, ah, it's probably just a regional myth. But it does exist, and out of it came a hair-saving medicine, and life-saving, right? So let's go ahead and hop, if you have an enlarged prostate, if you're falling off a bridge, I can't throw you a pill and you eat it and grow wings, but... That enzyme can actually help you grow your huevos. And you know what another word for huevos is? 
Eggs. Wait, no, that's not true. You know what another word for egg? Wait, what? Anyways, here's the ad for eggs. Hi, my name's Jason Carpenter. I'm the host of Dead Rabbit Radio, the fastest growing paranormal podcast in America. And you know, whether I'm chasing Bigfoot, outrunning aliens, or trying to convince an old man his treasure is real, I like to eat an egg. A good old-fashioned American egg, hatched right out of an American chicken. Nothing beats an egg unless you're beating it, turning it into an omelet. So if you're looking for something to eat tonight, look no further than the egg section of your grocery store. Or if you're lucky enough, you may own some American chickens in your very own backyard. What's on the menu tonight, boys? American eggs. Okay, there we go. American Egg Council. Eat eggs. Meat Hammer, let's hop in that carpenter copter. We are leaving behind the Dominican Republic, and we are headed out to Sweden. We're flying over beautiful tropical ocean of Dominican Republic. Is the Dominican Republic in the tropics? I don't know. Can an ocean be tropical? I don't think so. But we're flying over it anyways. It's beautiful. We see fish jumping out of the water trying to catch a ride on the helicopter because they have a death wish i just realized if they if they actually succeed they're dead we're flying let's fly low i want to pet the fish we're flying over we're headed to sweden we're going back to the year 1955 now all of this information i got from an article written by marcus loth we've he's he's done a couple articles we've covered on this show it was on the ufo insight website and it was called the tragic well i don't want to give away the article I don't want to give away the the ending, which is in the in the headline, but we'll get back to that. But thank you, Marcus, for writing this up. Meat hammer. We're flying the helicopter. We find a nice little clearing in the woods. We land. We jump out. We're wearing lumberjack clothes. We got a new job. We're lumberjacks. We all have axes and flannel shirts and jeans and stuff like that. And we're walking around Sweden. We're outside the Gulf of Bothina in Sweden. And there's these three lumberjacks, they're chopping down trees. Timber! But they're saying it in Swedish. And then... But that sound effect's in Swedish. And we don't have names for these lumberjacks, so we're going to call the main lumberjack Jerry. And then the other two people, um, Nick and Bob. So Jerry and his Nick and Bob are hanging out. They enjoy their new names. And they're doing their job. And then all of a sudden... They hear a strange noise, huh? What's that? And they, who was the main guy? Jerry? Jerry said it sounded like something big was walking through the woods. Something just tearing through the trees, through the brush. He's like, oh no, my livelihood. I need those trees to exist so I can chop them down. But he looks and he doesn't actually see trees getting knocked down. He hears it. He can't figure out what it is. And then he sees a long cigar-shaped craft. There's a lot of phallic imagery in this episode. Meat hammer, and now this, and then the previous story. He sees this long cigar-shaped craft (laughs) burning a line across the blue sky. He said that it seemed to him like a plane with no wings, which would be the perfect way to describe like a cigar-shaped UFO. Or just, you know, a cigar. But, you know, they look the same. He goes, thought it was weird. It's a plane with no wings. Maybe that's why it's crashing, he's thinking. And he sees it go into the forest. And then a super bright flash. He said it was so bright that 
the sunlight disappeared. We've actually talked about that on previous episodes. UFO encounters during the daytime, for whatever reason, the UFO seems to be brighter than the sun, which you would think was impossible. But when we're talking about UFOs, obviously we're throwing physics out the window. But the thing is, is that I made the sound effect of the ship crashing. There was no noise. They saw the ship go into the forest, saw the light that was brighter than the sun. It erased the daylight. No noise, though. Jerry's standing there, and he says for a moment he could see through the trees. It was like looking through an x-ray. So you could see the outline of the trees, but you could see right through it. And he's looking through this forest, and it's x-rayed. And then his foot starts to get dragged towards where he believes the ship crashed. He feels himself getting pulled. Then his other foot starts getting dragged too. And he feels his whole body, almost like someone turned on a vacuum cleaner, pulling him towards this crash. Nick and Bob are also feeling this as well. (laughs) One of them is apparently turning into a mummy, but they feel this pull. And they actually had to brace themselves. They grab onto a tree. Good thing I didn't chop this one down. Jerry says as he wraps his arms around the tree. And he's seen branches and leaves fly past him towards the impact zone. And then it's over. Not the story. Not the story. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't be climatic. Jerry and Nick and Bob look at each other and they go, we're going to go check that out, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got to check that out, right? Someone might make a podcast about this story someday. It has to have an ending. So the three lumberjacks go marching through the forest. They go to where they know, just on the angle, that this thing would have crashed. It wasn't far off. It was within walking distance. They go to where it would crash. No wreckage, nothing. There's nothing there. Kind of looking around, picking up rocks. Not here, boss, one of them says as he's looking into a tree hole. Not over here, another guy says. He's lifting. He's looking behind a bush. Jerry's like, why do I work with those idiots? But then Jerry looks, and there's like a stream there. And in the stream is sitting what he describes as a dwarf. There's a guy just sitting there in the water. He's not a typical, he's not described as a typical gray alien, but he's definitely not human. Four feet tall, that's not what makes him not human. There's a lot of humans who are four feet tall. But this guy's four feet tall, yellow skin, broad-shouldered. Oh, okay, so it's a dope little dude with jaundice. No, he has eyes were deep socketed. So he had really recessed eyes, and they were completely black. No white visible. He's just sitting in the water. And there's this weird vibrating light surrounding this beam. But he's just sitting there motionless. And Jerry's looking over at Nick and Bob. <laughs> okay, rock, paper, scissors. Who's going to have to go touch this guy? Jerry, he walks into the stream and he reaches out to see if this thing's alive or dead. Or even just what it is. And all of a sudden, in Swedish, the alien speaks. Do not touch me! It will only bring you difficulties. Dwarf's just sitting in the water. Jerry's just staring down at it. The little creature looks up and goes, Now you know who I am. Jerry said that he looked pretty beat up, right? He looked like he didn't... I mean, the UFO crash will tend to do that, right? He says he looked like he was injured. and He was wearing like a skin-tight suit. 
And almost like the alien could kind of sense what Jerry's next question was going to be. The alien says, quote, It is because of the clothing I can stay with you a while. Internally, I am destroyed. Unquote. It's interesting because think about how many UFO stories we've covered. They're wearing skin-tight suits. It's almost always like a skin-tight suit. It's very rarely are they wearing some sort of bulky astronaut-type gear. And this would make sense if the suit was, as much as it looks like a thin metal material, a lot of times it's described as metallic or shiny, it could be a crash suit. could be something that allows them to not die immediately on impact when their UFO crashes into something. Because he has some stuff he has to take care of. And this would actually explain a lot about aliens and UFOlogy in general. He's sitting in this river. Do not touch me. It will only bring you difficulties. And then he says, internally I'm destroyed. If it wasn't for this suit, like I, I would, there would be guts everywhere. It would not be funny. It would ruin your day. It would totally ruin your day. He said occasionally the alien would clasp his hands together. And he would close his eyes and sit there silently, just the water brushing against his skin. What, you, what would you think if you saw a human do that? Clasp their hands together and close their eyes. It's, it obviously sounds like prayer, right? Very, very interesting detail in an alien story. I can't recall a time that we've seen an alien kind of take that pose. But I actually, now that I say that, I can't recall a time we've actually seen an alien pass away. It's usually like an alien autopsy story, or they come across the aliens and they're dead, or they're kidnapped. I didn't think about the implications of the story. This might be the first time we've actually seen an alien. Well, there's spoiler alert. The headline of the article is The Tragic Death of an Alien Humanoid in 1955 Sweden. At that point, Nick and Bob just kind of turn and walk away into the forest, and Jerry turns and he looks at him, and he gets the idea in his head that the alien made them do that. That the aliens sent them away for some reason. Jerry doesn't know the reason, but he get or even why he feels this way, but he gets the idea that they've been commanded to leave Jerry and this alien alone. And then, according to Jerry, the alien and Jerry have a conversation that lasts around two hours. The alien's just sitting there talking to him. I always find details like that suspicious because he says that they talked for two hours. And we only get a little bit of information. Think about a time you've talked to anyone for two hours. You think you'd have a boatload of information, but what Jerry tells us is that the alien says he's from a constellation known as the Eagle. Sounds, sounds like a rock station, a, a 1970s rock station. And he says other aliens are coming from the Eagle as well. So I don't believe we have a constellation known as the Eagle, which would be an interesting piece of information because he, obviously he could say we come from Orion's belt or we come from Alpha Centauri or something like that. But he goes, we come from the constellation known as the Eagle, but it's not necessarily a constellation in our reality. He says he's from a parallel universe that, quote, orbits the Earth, unquote. That's a weird thing because an alternate reality or a parallel reality, that kind of puts everything on its head. Like, I guess I've always thought of realities kind of layered on top of each other or next to each other, and you can pass between the two, theoretically. But it could be that you have the Earth warping gravity so much that it has its own parallel reality rotating around the Earth, or it's close enough to the Earth. And he says aliens travel interdimensionally. They phase in and out between their home reality, 
which in their home reality is a constellation known as the Eagle, and our reality. Fascinating stuff. I've always been a bigger proponent of aliens being interdimensional than coming from Orion's Belt or Alpha Centauri. The distances are just so vast. The amount of energy that we would need to go from Alpha Centauri to here is it's unknowable. Passing from one dimension to another could be something that's so simple that we've never even stumbled across it. It's almost too simple for us to discover type of thing. At a certain point during the conversation, the alien pulls out a little rectangle, a little rectangular device, and Jerry says he watched the alien put in some code. The alien's hiding it from Jerry. It's his pin number. I might be dying, but I don't want you having my space box. He's putting this code into the box, and he tosses it, tosses it away from him, and he turns to Jerry, and he goes, that's so my colleagues won't come looking for me. After about two hours of this conversation, the alien's probably super cold in this Sweden stream, but he, he makes a bag appear. He manifests this bag in some fashion. He gives it to Jerry, and he goes, here's what you need to do. Get your buddies back here. Well, I guess I can do that because I'm the one who sent them away in the first place, but you're, you and your buddies need to put me in this bag, and then you're going to put the bag in the river, but you can't touch me. You can't touch me while you're doing this. Because if you touch me, you're going to get sick. You're going to get sick. So Jerry uses his telepathic powers, and Nick and Bob come back out of the woods just on time. Jerry's holding this bag. And the little alien guy is sitting in the river, and the vibrating light that was around him starts to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And earlier when he had his hands clasped and he closed his eyes, Jerry thought that was a odd gesture. But now Jerry specifically states that the alien begins to mutter what he believes is a prayer. And then he dies. Jerry and his buddies somehow get this alien into the bag without touching him. But even the bag begins to burn their skin. He said the bag smelled like sulfur. And it began to burn their skin. So they had to hurry up. They're like, hurry up, man. No, no, you hurry up. They're like trying to kick the dude's body in. Eventually, they get the body in the bag, they put it in the water, and the next five minutes, they stood there, and the bag and the body inside of it slowly dissolves until there's nothing left. Now, this story is known because there was an author named John Fontaine who was doing this speaking circuit, and at one point, he's in Sweden, and he's given this speech. This was in like the late 80s, early 90s. He's given this speech, and a guy approached him and said, uh, yeah. You know, back in 1955, I was a lumberjack. John Fontaine's like, I don't find that interesting. No, you didn't let me finish. I shouldn't have paused there. But not only was I a lumberjack, this is my story. And he tells the story that I just told you. And John Fontaine goes, like any of us would do, do you have any proof? Lumberjack reaches into his pocket, pulls out a rectangular piece of metal, shows it to him. John Fontaine looks at it and goes, I mean, anyone can show Amy a rectangle. John Fontaine doesn't say anything. I mean, obviously, it could just be... there's. You can find a rectangular piece of metal. But he did have some sort of proof. He puts it in his back pocket and walks away. So this was a story that was told to a UFO researcher from a lumberjack in Sweden. Obviously, it could be made up. You know, with any of these stories, it could be made up. John Fontaine could have made it up. The lumberjack could have made it up. Somebody else could have made it up and attributed it to John Fontaine. There's a lot of stuff that obviously can go that way. But 
like we like to do, let's put on our conspiracy cap. Let's explore the story as if it's real. It's a humdinger, isn't it? You have an alien. You have reason why we don't find alien bodies from crashed ships, right? That's an interesting detail. The sh- we don't have wreckage of the ship. Now you go. Well, what about Roswell? I thought we had the ship crash and da 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 da. We've talked a lot about Roswell. I personally think at this point Roswell is false flag disinfo stuff. Because it took a long time for Roswell to even be a thing. It happened in the 1940s, and nobody really talked about it until the 70s. And then you had people going, oh, I was there, and we covered a body. And it really smacks of disinfo. But at Roswell, we had crash wreckage. But you would imagine these ships are crashing not all the time, but enough, just like plane crashes, right? Plane crashes, planes never crash. They never crash. But every so often one does, and it's this huge thing. But what if the ship was designed to simply disintegrate? What if the ship, when it is in a crash mode, all the debris simply go to another dimension? Which, I mean, if you would figure, why can't the whole ship go to another dimension and not crash? But the big thing, obviously, with UFOs, with Bigfoot, with ghosts is proof. And this would explain why we don't find alien bodies in Antarctica from 10,000 years ago, a spaceship crashing. They simply dissolve. Obviously, this guy needed help getting into a bag. He was pretty beat up. He wasn't moving much. But we have that idea of why we don't find a lot of proof of UFO crashes. The prayer, though. Isn't that an intriguing idea? I know there there's two branches of people who believe in like UFOs and stuff like that, and they're that a U a race that is so advanced to build UFOs would be beyond the need for religion. They would be rational people, and I look at it as you could be so advanced in your science that you know that there's something outside of the universe. Like it can go both ways, right? I think if you're looking at a Stone Age religion. We can look at it and go, those are superstitions that people still follow today. But if you were able to traverse parallel universes, who's not to say you could go into a universe where you had absolute proof of God? In an infinite universe, anything's possible. Everything's possible. In an infinite universe with infinite realities, every single thing is possible. I'm dating Britney Spears. In at least 5,000 universes, in an infinite amount of universes, everything is possible. So if there's an infinite amount of universes, in one of those universes, there is a God who created that universe. Because within an infinite amount of possibilities, right, everything is possible. Even if there were a trillion billion universes where there was no God and it was a dead place, it only takes one of those universes for there to be a God who created things to prove that God is real. Everything is possible. And if you have the ability to fly through those dimensions, to fly through reality, you would know everything was possible. If everything is possible, then God can have created the universe. So, you could could go, did I just blow your mind? (laughs) But it made no sound. It was that epic. Within an infinite amount, on an infinite timeline, an infinite amount of universes, everything is possible. That means God is possible. That means God exists. 
the idea of an alien praying is fascinating. I don't think we've come across a story like that before, where an alien... First off, when he's clasping his hands, even in the story, Jerry doesn't go, ah, he looked like he was praying. He just said he had his hands clasped and his eyes closed. But at the end, when he hears him kind of mutter something, he said it sounded like a prayer. And then he dies. An interdimensional traveler crashing on Earth, spending his last moments on the only place we know is home. In the beautiful Swedish countryside, sitting in a babbling brook, surrounded by humans who took care of him, who were empathetic for his plight, and stayed with him until he died. I can't imagine a more peaceful ending than that. So if he really was muttering a prayer in his last moments, I hope he was uttering a prayer to his God of thanks for landing on the amazing planet Earth. We may have our troubles, but when it comes down to it, we open our hearts and render aid to even the most strangest of visitors. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Shh, shh.